show that never ends. We're so glad you could attend. Come inside, come inside. There behind the glass, there's a real blade of glass. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Shannon Smith Shooting Show podcast. Thanks for joining me again. I know I said I was going to be more frequent with these, but life happens, you know. It's been a busy year uh, here at Universal Shooting Academy so far. A bunch of major matches uh, just since since January, and it's only April for those of you scoring at home. So no good excuses except been busy at work and new baby, so lots of things going on like, like everybody else in the world. Just kind of update if we've got some new listeners on the, the flow of the show. I kind of BS about whatever topic happens to be on my mind at the time. Uh, matches I've shot, classes I've taught, and then try to hit on some questions that viewer, that uh, listeners send in. And uh, I'm about to the end of my queued questions, so you guys get on the Facebook or the email and let me know what you're thinking about. Uh, Shooting-related question or you know topic I've talked about in the past you want me to expand upon, anything like that, I'd be happy to spend some time on it and I usually try to tie you know whatever topic that I have that I am planning on talking about tie that into to one of the questions that we have so you can reach me uh, on email through the website or on Facebook at uh, Shannon Smith shooting there as well uh, summertime's creeping up on us we've got I'm um, out of town for the area six pistol championship this weekend but then things really slow down for us around here so great time to schedule classes if anybody's interested in getting some training with me. Uh, obviously, we do that here at Universal Shooting Academy. We've got a pretty great facility and uh, just a very efficient use of time. Yeah, we shoot a lot of rounds in our classes because a, a lot of the reason is in order to learn how the how to pull the trigger correctly, you got to go out there and pull the trigger. But the, the a big reason as well is it's just a very efficient use of training time out here. We've got a lot of stuff set up. We don't waste a lot of time pacing targets and and reset and steal, we just move over to a different bay and start shooting again. You know, many days we'll shoot till lunch and, and not pace a single target just the way I set things up. So good good use of time to come here and do training. However, you know, have gun, will travel. I'd be happy to come to your facility if you've got a range to that we can utilize. I'd be happy to do that as well. So keep that in mind, and you can reach me same places, uh, email through the website or on uh, on Facebook. Get uh, gets class scheduled get geared up for the big matches coming in the fall uh, a couple couple matches we've had here i think since the last time i was with you guys we had the the uspsa optics nationals which was a new thing they did this year that was open division uh, and then a couple of new divisions carry optics which is your your glock or your sig or xd with a with a dot on top uh, one of the micro dot rides on the slide and they also had pcc pistol caliber carbine so that's a new division in uspsa as well uh, gaining a lot of support. Um, not too super jazzed about carry optics. It's just kind of not my thing, although I think that's going to be very popular for folks coming into the sport the first time. It's a, you know economic way to, to be able to see for those of you struggling with eyesight that's creeping up on me day by day. Um, but, but PCC, I think, is really cool. I am excited about that. I'm looking forward to... I've shot a little bit at some local matches and stuff, but Looking forward to goofing around with that more. I've I've enjoyed playing with that, and it's good practice for three gun too. If you're if you're a three gunner, it's you know less expensive, easier way to to work your rifle. All the the fundamentals are the same, the controls are the same, and you can shoot a lot more stuff that you can't shoot with a real rifle 
plate racks and close steel and, and things like that, steel challenge. So it's it's great to to enhance your transition and, and gun manipulation speed uh, if you're wanting to carry it, carry it over in a three gun. Uh, I shot open division. I'm concentrating on open for the last few years, at least through the world shoot this year. And didn't didn't do very well. I finished sixth overall, which I guess isn't horrible, but certainly not to my standards. And to throw all the excuses out there, I really didn't have an opportunity to practice, which is nobody's fault but mine. But, you know, the match was here, so we were busy putting on the match and building stages and and that type of stuff. But uh, I shot pretty good the first day. was pleased. I think I was third or something at the end of the first day. And the second day was the difficult or higher accuracy requirement portion of the match. As anybody that shot here knows, this is Universal Shooting Academy, and shooting is our middle name, as we say. So, you know, we set up uh, on purpose difficult, challenging shots. And anyway, but on top of that, you know, everybody had a dot, and nobody had any mag capacity restrictions. So, the match was even a bit more challenging than a regular match would have been. Uh, and we had all the our squad had all the tough stuff the second day, so I was really feeling good because that's kind of my specialty. And, and I just came out of the bed and, and screwed up all over the place. So, you know, a couple of misses on the standards, which I really felt confident about. And a couple of mystery misses and then just a couple of mental errors and end up falling down the leaderboard a little bit throughout the day. Uh, interesting, we had the standards on the, the, first sta- the first stage of the day on the second day. So early in the morning, had a pretty good night's sleep. I was feeling pretty good. And it was a strong hand weekend at, uh, I think, 30 yards and, and 25 yards or something like that. Um, load and make ready. I take my sight picture, and the gun was shaking all over the place. Like D zone to D zone, off the target to D zone. And I couldn't figure it out. I mean, the only thing I can attribute it to was nerves, although I didn't feel like I was feeling nervous at the time. But I don't know what else it would have been. I had a small breakfast, drank the normal amount of coffee, so everything was everything was on par. And I stood there and and aimed at the target for a little bit. And I'm like, well, at some point, I'm going to have to load the gun and give this thing a go. And so I gave it a go, and it didn't go well. Uh, Two misses at the the 30-yard stronghand, and I was positive one of them was off, and I was pretty sure the other one was off. But Virginia Count stage, you can't really take makeups unless you're damn, damn sure. And, hell, I could have missed that one too. And you're getting the penalty for the extra shot. So rough start to the day, and it kind of went downhill from there. So it was disappointing, but... Tis what it is. Match is over. Move on to the next one. Uh, next, we had the, not too long after that, we had the Area 6 multi-gun championship here. I've been goofing around in three-gun a little bit the last couple of years, and I'm actually thinking about after the world shoot this year, maybe getting a bit more into three-gun next year. I'm, I'm, I'm hating it less and less, as I say. But uh, starting to get better at it, starting to figure out what the hell I'm doing. I was fortunate to win the Area 6 multi-gun here. I shot on Friday. I was running that match too, so I shot on Friday with the staff, and uh, you know, felt like I shot decent. Certainly made a couple of mistakes, but nothing major. And felt like I put up a half decent score. And then you just got to sit and wait, which is the tough part about shooting on the staff day. There's no, nothing you can do to improve your scores at that point. Just kind of wait and see what the competitors do. Um, but my score was good enough to hold on so that was cool and then we have area six pistol in georgia this weekend so i finally have gotten back to the open gun we've got a break in our schedule here in, in terms of major matches for a little bit 
and uh, had some classes after the Area 6 multi-gun. Uh, but this week finally chilled out a little bit and actually got to get some practice in. So I went out and shot a shot a thousand rounds yesterday, which I don't do a whole lot anymore. In fact, I haven't shot a thousand rounds a day in a long time. But uh, and I don't think that's necessarily the best way to go about your training. Honestly, I mean, perfect world. I'd like to shoot 300 rounds a day, you know a morning, five six days a week. I think that would be that would be best. But because I hadn't been shooting for a while and I only had three days between yesterday and and leaving for the match, I wanted to kind of put the gun through the paces, put me through the paces, and it was a pretty purposeful practice session. That you you can also get you know get lost and drone out and lose focus and then you end up just wasting ammo if if you're trying to shoot that much in a day but I was fortunate to have a light schedule so I shot six or seven hundred in the morning and then came in the office did some office work and had lunch and went back out and shot another three or four after afterwards and uh, so I felt like it was good purposeful practice all around hit all my standard drills which again I don't normally do all the drills in in one sitting but I had the opportunity to, to do so I uh, got a little workout in after after work. I've been slacking on my CrossFit hashtag first rule. But it was nice to get back and uh, get a workout in. Came out today and shot the plan was today to shoot another 1,000. But I did catch myself losing focus today. And uh, so I cut it off at 500. I was just starting to goof off and, and blow through ammo there. But another another good practice session today. And then plan for the same tomorrow, maybe another four or five, six hundred in the morning. And clean clean guns, check for broken parts, and recheck zero, make sure I put it back together correctly. And then pack up and head out. So I'll be shooting the, the whole match on Friday. Or, yeah, a whole match on Friday. And then heading back on Saturday, so I won't be there for the end. But anyway, I'll be in I'll be in we'll be in on Thursday, checking out stages, uh, shooting all day Friday and then heading out Saturday morning so if you're if you're up there on Thursday or Friday come track me down say hi I'd like to meet the folks that are listening and hear what you think about the podcast anything else that I can touch on and uh, bring to the program that's gonna that's gonna help you uh, become a better shooter pardon me while I sip my yingling had another CrossFit workout today first rule and uh, I'm ruining that right now by enjoying eagling and doing a podcast. So one thing I wanted to talk, I've been wanting to talk about for a while. This has been on my list of topics to to get to, but there were more important questions. I didn't have a whole lot of questions coming in this week, uh, so it gives me an opportunity to hit it. So one of my weird things I like is uh, obscure documentaries. So I don't have, I don't have a lot of time to watch TV, and I don't really care for TV anyway. But we had a baby at the last fall, and so we had a couple of uh, weeks there, chilling home, nothing much to do, and I had the opportunity to actually veg in front of the TV a little bit, and especially through the holidays as well, and catch up on on some of this stuff. So I jump on Netflix and find documentaries, and and uh, especially on obscure sports. It's you know, a lot of competition is competition. Doesn't matter if you're playing checkers or you're out shooting the nationals. You know, competitors are competitors, and I love reading about or watching about other competitors. I mean, I'm I'm not going to be in the Super Bowl. I'm not going to be in the in the World Series or or in the Daytona 500. But the feeling is the same. You know, if you're on the line while 
perfect example, the nationals I was just talking about, you know, when you're on the line, you're feeling the nerves and, you know, I've, I've won some big matches. I've lost a lot of big matches, but you know, when you're in that, when you're, when you're in the hunt and you know, you're in the hunt, you feel it. And it's, you know, I've talked about it before, but I call it the juice and the ability to perform while you're under that juice is no different than regardless of the sports you're playing. I'm sure the national or the, uh, you know, Super Bowl is a, a much bigger stage. Maybe they feel more juice. I don't know. But those guys have been under that, you know, they've been under that gun their whole life. And I really think a lot of it correlates to um, to the shooting sports. We were talking, who was I talking to? I had a class the other day. I was, I was talking to a student about this. And um, so one of the documentaries I watched was, I forget the name of it. I didn't take notes on this one. But the guy was um, a uh, world's strongest man competitor. He wanted to, his goal was to win the world's strongest man in the international competition. So he had been, he was from England. So he'd won the, he'd won the one in England a while, you know, a number of years, but, and he was top, I don't know, six, seven, eight or something in, in the world. And just kind of followed along his training and his eating and his competitions and stuff, getting ready for, for the big world championship. The guy deadlifted like 1,150 pounds or something. It was ridiculous. But he was saying, you know, when, when you're standing in front of that bar, when I, when I walk up to that bar, I better believe I can lift that weight. I, he said, I guarantee, goddamn key, tea, I guarantee goddamn tea, you, nobody in the audience thinks I can lift that weight. So if I don't believe I can lift the weight, nobody believes I can lift the weight. So I better believe it when I step up there. I was talking to a student about this the other day, and, and uh, he was talking about Brady coming back in, in the Super Bowl. And, you know, that was, I think it is the, the, the biggest comeback ever, if I remember correctly. But, you know, Tom Brady's probably the only person that believed that he could that he could make that comeback. You know, I don't even know if Belichick. I don't know if anybody honestly really believed. Sure, some people hoped. I'm I'm sure, but you know, I don't know that anybody really believed it. But I'll I'll bet you he did. You know, he's the type of competitor um, that would <laughs> that would do anything to win, and uh, I'm pretty sure he believed it was possible. So one of the one one of the ones I watched was was called Fastball, and I'm not a huge baseball fan, but there was this pitcher uh, Goose Gossage, and he was a big intimidating. Uh, towering dude and they were interviewing him and he was coming up against Carl Yastrzemski who I only know because I used to collect baseball cards when I was in grade school um, and Yastrzemski was a big hitter and it was an important game I don't know if it was a pennant, pennant series game or, or a world series game but I know Gossage was saying he was he was so nervous he could hardly walk out of the bullpen and he you know, dreamt about it and it was a you know, pivotal point in the game and he had dreamt about he had dreamt about it before, like, what is the worst-case scenario? And the worst-case scenario is it's a pivotal point in the game. They bring me out of the bullpen, and I got to face Yastrzemski. And so here he was. So, you know, he built that up. as like this is the worst possible thing that could happen, and now he's in it. And what he said to himself, he had, uh, I guess it was the last game of the season or one of the last last series of the season, and he, was, he had a hunting trip planned to Colorado for the next week. So he said to himself, you know, either way, I'm going to be hunting in Colorado next week. So it's, you know, not a light. He's trying to relax his nerves. It's not a life or death situation. I'm still going to be enjoying myself <clears throat> next week, regardless of what happens here. And he, you know, went out and struck him out. So it was kind of just a little self-talk and getting yourself fired up and under control so you can go out and perform like you're supposed to perform. Another interesting thing in that, in that documentary there, it was on about, it was about, you know, one of the, 
toughest things in sports, according to sports people, is, uh, you know, sports-wide, is hitting a fastball, hitting a major league fastball, and that's kind of what the, the main documentary was about. They were saying that the difference between a, a 90-mile-an-hour fastball and a 100-mile-an-hour fastball in time from the mound to the plate is 50 milliseconds. So a millisecond is 500, basically, 0.05 on, on our timers. And they were saying that often major league hitters would lose vision of the ball due to its speed. And they were interviewing a scientist, and he said, your brain will often fill in missing parts to complete a story. Like if you've seen a lot of the, the action movies and TV when they, like the Bourne stuff where they're doing that crazy fat, fast fighting, hand, you know, hand-to-hand, uh, oftentimes they'll, you know, cut clips out, you know, small clips out of the of the normal tape in order to make it look like it's ha- happening faster. And you're, you know, even though you might miss something, um, you know, mill- millimeter of a hand movement or something like that, uh, your brain will fill in that gap as, you know, complete the story as to what happens. I was thinking about how that relates to shooting, and none of this is confirmed. This is off a Netflix documentary, so of course it must be true. Uh, but I was thinking about how that relates to shooting and, and, you know, seeing what you think you saw versus, you know, maybe you didn't see it that way. So, you know, where do those mystery misses come from? I I think I saw that sight on the target, and I moved it off in transition, or I jerked the trigger a little bit, the sight moves off target, and you don't, you don't see it, or the dot moves off target, and you don't see it that quickly. So, you know, if what they're saying is right, they're talking 50 milliseconds, you know, that's certainly within the time realms, time frame of the, of the, um, the types of things we do. You're talking 11 split versus a 19 split or a uh, 18 split versus a 25, 26 split, you know, 0.8, 0.5 difference. Um, that's not a, you know, it's not unconceivable in our game. There's certainly guys that run faster splits than that. So how fast can you see? you know what's happening so again i thought that was just kind of interesting in terms of uh you know the way we the way we play our game uh they had one on called road i'm a motorcycle geek so they had one on called road it was a story of uh, dunlop brothers who were road racers in ireland and i didn't realize how big road racing was in ireland we, we all know the well if you're a motorcycle guy you know the isle of man the tt but that's just that's just one race. They have races like every other weekend there at some point around the around the island around the country, um, and it's a big big deal there. And so it was, it was a cool story on just the dedication to the sport. I mean, these guys, a couple of the brothers died, and a lot of other a lot of other their friends were dying in the in the super dangerous stuff. You know, they're racing 150 miles an hour through like literal backcountry cobblestone streets lined by concrete walls and that kind of shit. Um, so it was interesting in the, in the fact of the dedication. You know, you, only competitors will understand, and not big money in, in that sport. You know, you win, you get a plastic trophy or something stupid like what, what we compete for. And just the determination to, to go out there and do it for the, for the sake of winning, for the sake of competing. Uh, there was one on, I forget the name of this one, but there was one on uh, uh, Yosemite. And it was kind of spanning the, the climbing history of... Um, you know, over years of the different techniques where they used to literally climb from ropes. They would basically attach rope ladders in order to climb up to where they moved to more, you know, free climbing with protection. So they would still be on ropes, but now they're they're climbing on the rock and then moving on to really straight free climbing now where they're, they're climbing with, with zero protection. And, you know, if you fall, you're dead. 
but again, same thing, dedication to the craft and you know, working on techniques to get better, hitting the gym in the off season to get better and, and those type of things I thought it was relating as well. And then probably the, the best one I watched was, was called Top Spin. And if I haven't mentioned it before, there's a couple of books. One of them is called uh, Outliers and one of them is called Bounce. And they both revolve around the same topic of, you know, the 10,000 hours rule and how much time you have to put into to anything to be great at it and, and what makes great people great. You know, you have to have the means, you have to have the desire, you have to, you have, to have the time and, you know, all these things have to come together probably some natural talent all these things have to come together in order to be good so those are a couple of books i would recommend if you haven't read them or get the audiobook or something listen to it in the car uh, really cool stuff and this is kind of along those lines so it was top spin and it was about uh, table tennis and uh, the drive to make the olympic team and it was focused on americans although it hit some other countries as well but they were traveling to china and different places to train throughout the year they have these camps and but there was this the girl she was uh, a Chinese. She was an American, but Chinese uh, Chinese descent, and uh, she was young, at 13, 14 years old. Uh, really good table tennis player, and she was uh, training to to make the U.S. national team. So think about this: this young girl. And there's a quote that she said, and she was in a um, a match, a qualification match to make the team, and it was uh, I forget how many games they played, best of five, best of seven, whatever. But it was the last game. So the winner goes, loser stays home, and it was right down to the end. So 11-11 you know, or 14-14 or whatever the hell they play to, I don't remember. Um, and she was serving, and, and this is, of course, after the competition. But as a quote she said, she said, there are, there are those times when it's really close, and you're thinking to yourself, can I do this? Am I willing to be aggressive enough at this time? You have to train yourself to take that chance, as nervous as you might be. It's something that you have to overcome. And, man, that, that struck me so much I grabbed my phone out and, and wrote it down because that's, that's competition. You know, we have that mentality on stage one of the, you know, spending all this money, spend this time traveling to Georgia to go to the Area 6 championship or traveling to Florida to go to the, to the national championship. You get there and you're on stage one and you're thinking to yourself, all right, first stage of the nationals, first stage of the Area 6, let's get a good solid run under our belt, you know, see our sights well, no penalties, get a bunch of A's, we'll get this thing rolling. Here we go. And and I was I was there, man. I did that for a long time. But that's just a loser mentality. You can't come out. You can't come out at 85 or 90% speed because you want to I know you can't see me, but I'm making air quotes because you want to get a good run under your belt. You're going to get smoked on that stage by by 30, 40 points doing that. You've got to come out 100%. You've got to be aggressive from the get-go. And that follows through the whole match. Now now we're down towards the end. Now, if you're you know if you're paying attention, I know it's difficult when you're on different squads from your competitors, but you know if you're paying attention um, and you know where you're at in the match, well, yeah. Now, if you're 30, 40 points up coming in the last stage, now maybe you do lay up a little bit. But if you're 10 points up, that ain't gonna work. And if you're 10 points down, that ain't gonna work. So I just thought it was cool from such a young young person to have that mentality and to have that thought. And again, that's how it relates to. To competition we've you know we we're going through the same things we we're fighting those same demons of you know forcing yourself to be aggressive and and putting the time in and a lot of those a lot of those were just about time you know the dedication to the sport these guys and girls put in regardless of of what sport they're playing and you look at the top guys in this game you look at rob max travis myself you know savigny these guys have put in massive amounts of time in their craft to get good i mean there's no 
Um, there's no uh, coincidence that the top shooters in the world, the guys in the super squad of the Nationals, have been competing at that level for 10 years. Plus, 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 plus in a lot of cases, but 10 years plus. Not, not competing for 10 years, competing at that level for 10 years. You know, with very few exceptions. There are some exceptions out there, but very few exceptions. You know, your best guys in the world have been doing it for a long time. And you know, they were at it a long time before they got good. And then once they were good, they were at it a long time there. And, you know, I tell my students, if number one goal is to enjoy the sport, have fun at it, you're probably not going to be a professional shooter, and I don't know that I'd wish that on you anyway. But number one goal, enjoy the sport. If you want to get better, well, it takes time. It takes dry fire time. It takes match time. It takes live fire time. It takes a lot of time, fair amount of money, and a lot of dedication. And, you know, I see it all the time. We've got these new kids coming in, and they're super fast, super accurate, coming up strong. And then they hit that age where they find girls or they get a car or they get off of dad's money and have to go to school or whatever. And then they have to quit the sport. And they come back when they can afford it at, you know, 35, and they've got two kids and a full-time job, and now they've lost it. You know, you're never going to get it back. And that's life. That's that's what happens. But then you look at guys like Matt, well, Max and Travis are perfect examples. And there's plenty of others, but um, Shane Cooley's another one. But, you know, guys that didn't have that gap, they they hit the right time. They they got in the Army. They got a, they got a job shooting or whatever. So they, they were coming up, getting good, never had that gap. And then quite the contrary, they got a job where they can continue on with their training full time. And those are your superstars. Those are the those are the world champions and national champions and you know, guys that are that are really making a mark in the sport. All right, guys. That's about all I got for you. I appreciate your time. I will uh, certainly plan to be back with you sooner now that the schedule's lightened up this summer. Be sure to hit me up with your questions. I got lots to talk about, but I'd love to hit topics that you guys want to hear about. If you're up at Area Six, give me a holler. Otherwise, see you on the range. Later.